Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, I want to invite you to join me in Paul's letter to Philemon. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. Thankfully, I sound a little less like Kermit the Frog than I did last week. But we went to Boone yesterday, and apparently the Boone air did not like my throat, and I sound worse than I did yesterday, but we will press on. In the year AD 125, a man named Aristides wrote a letter to the Emperor Hadrian. And in this letter, he described the believers of the early church. He described how Christians lived in his day and how they interacted with other believers. And I want to read a portion of what he wrote to the emperor. And my hope is that if he were still around today, he would say the same things about you and I. Listen to what he wrote. It reads, But the Christians, O king, have found the truth, for they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and of earth, from whom they received commandments which they engraved upon their minds and observe in hope and expectation of the world which is to come. Wherefore, they do not commit adultery nor fornication, nor bear false witness, nor embezzle what is is held in pledge, nor covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother and show kindness to those near them. And whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. And their oppressors, they comfort and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. If one or other of them have bond men and bond women or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them and they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And if there's any among them that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care. Such is their manner of life. It's clear that Jesus had a great impact on these early believers. Jesus impacted the ways that they interacted with one another and even the ways that they interacted with non-believers. He impacted all of their relationships. And what we see this morning in Paul's letter to Philemon is that Christ's impact on our lives changes our relationships. Christ's impact on our lives changes our relationships. The gospel changes our relationships. Jesus' impact on our lives changes the way we interact with other people and the way we treat other people. And this morning, since it's a short letter, even though we don't normally do this, I'm going to read all of Paul's letter to Philemon, and then we're going to walk through it today. So we're going to start in Philemon 1 and read all 25 verses, and then we will walk through Paul's letter together today. It reads, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now Paul's letter to Philemon is unlike any other epistle that Paul has written or that we've looked at so far because Paul's letter to Philemon is a letter from one friend to another that is then shared with the church that meets in Philemon's house. Paul here is not talking about church structure or church ordinances or how things should be done. He's writing as one friend to another. And Paul most likely wrote this letter during his first imprisonment in Rome sometime between A.D. 60 and A.D. 63. And he writes to Philemon, who was a wealthy businessman that lived in Colossae. Now, Jerry was going to be gone for two weeks, and he threatened me and said I had to have a map um, because he was going to be gone for two weeks, or else I was going to be in trouble when he got home. So here's your map, Jerry. We know that Philemon was a wealthy businessman for three reasons. One, he had a house that was big enough for the church to meet in. He had a guest room in his house that Paul could come and stay in. And Philemon was wealthy enough to be able to to afford slaves. 
Paul, uh, Paul converted Philemon to the faith through his ministry, most likely during the three years that Paul was in Ephesus. You see on the map there how close Colossae is to Ephesus. So Philemon became a believer through Paul's ministry. And then at some point, Onesimus ran away. One of Philemon's slaves ran away from Philemon. And he ran from Colossae to Rome. Scholars think that he may have stolen some money from Philemon. But he ran away to the largest city in the empire. Hoping to hide. Hoping to be forgotten about. To get far away from Colossae and follow far away from Philemon. But God in his sovereignty intervened. And when Onesimus gets to Rome, in some way he meets Paul. And Onesimus himself becomes a believer. And so now Paul is writing and he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon, back to Colossae, so that Onesimus can seek forgiveness for his sin. Unfortunately, in the social setting and the social context of this day, slavery was a fact of life. And in this letter, Paul does not directly say that slavery should be abolished, but the spirit of this letter to Philemon clearly conveys that to us. You see, Paul is counting on Jesus' impact in Philemon's life to lead Philemon to welcome Onesimus back not as a slave, but as a brother. Paul is counting on Christians to live in such a way that we are a part of ending slavery. While slavery is not the focus of this letter, slavery prompts it. It's the occasion that allows Paul to write to Philemon. The focus of this letter is relationships. Paul's focus is on Christian relationships. And this is what I believe is Paul's hope in the way that he writes this letter. His hope is that we as believers would fulfill the Great Commission, that we would make disciples that make disciples. And as we do that, we would have Christ-centered relationships. And this is why I believe that this is Paul's hope. If we make disciples who make disciples and have relationships that are focused on Jesus and come out of our relationship with Jesus, that will lead to the end of slavery. Because you cannot both abuse another human and follow Jesus. So that's Paul's hope here, is that we will live out the Great Commission and so lead to change. This is what Paul's counting on. This is what I believe he's hoping for and what he's praying for. And so here is the outline of this letter. After the introduction, Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving for Philemon. He then makes a plea on behalf of Onesimus. He points to God's purposes. And then before one final request and conclusion, Paul appeals to the gospel. So after the introduction, Paul prays a prayer of thanksgiving for Philemon. And Paul is thankful for Philemon's love for God's people. He's thankful for Philemon's faith in Jesus. Philemon's love has brought joy and an encouragement to Paul and to other believers. And Paul wants to remind Philemon of that because he knows that forgiving Onesimus is going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge for him to reconcile with Onesimus. 
Probably each and every one of us have had a situation in our lives where it's difficult to forgive someone that has hurt us. Paul knows that this is going to be difficult. So he writes reminding Philemon of all that he has in Christ. And he reminds him to remember of the grace and the forgiveness that God has shown him. Because Paul knows that the good thing for Philemon to do would be to forgive Onesimus and to reconcile with this man who is now his brother in Christ. Look with me in verses 4 through 7. They read, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul then moves into his plea for Onesimus. And even though Paul has the authority to command Philemon to forgive Onesimus, Paul has the power and authority to say, this is what you should do, this is what you must do. That is not Paul's approach here. He doesn't want to force Philemon to do what is right. He wants Philemon through the gospel and through Jesus' impact on his life to choose for himself to do what is right. So Paul here appeals to Philemon's love for all the believers. We've seen him point out that Philemon loves all the believers because this love must now include Onesimus. Philemon just doesn't know that yet. Paul here reminds me of a parent giving a child an opportunity to make the right decision, to show that they have grown and matured, and to make a wise choice. When I was a kid, there was a store in our mall called KB Toys. It was the coolest store in our mall. It's the only store that I ever wanted to go to because every other store was for adults and I was 10 and I didn't care about going to Sears or going to Belk or wherever else my parents wanted to go. And for kids in here that are like, oh, I've never been to a KB Toys, it's maybe similar to a GameStop. They don't really have stores like it anymore. It's just a bunch of action figures. Uh, it was awesome for me. But there were times when we would go and we'd be walking past the store and my parents would say, you have $15 you can spend in the toy store today or you can save it for later and you'll have more next time. Now, I must confess, and I speak the truth, my dad's here today, you can fact check me on this afterwards. More than once in my life, I have been, it has been said of me that money burns a hole in my pocket. So my parents could have stopped talking after you have $15 to spend because my brain stopped listening to them after they said you have $15 to spend. I wasn't concerned with coming back later with more money. I was thinking about the next Power Rangers action figure or the next Ninja Turtle or the next Batman action figure that I was about to go into the toy store and buy. As a 10-year-old, I was not to the point yet where I was wise enough to make the right choice to save money. Paul here is giving Philemon an opportunity to show that he is spiritually matured. So he speaks to him gently in love. He doesn't speak to him forcefully. He wants Philemon to choose for himself 
to do what God expects and to do the thing that God desires. Talking about this passage, G.B. Caird says, Generosity ought to be spontaneous, not forced. And Paul does not want to interfere with the workings of providence. Paul does not want to interfere with what God is doing in Philemon's life by forcing him to forgive Onesimus. So he speaks to him gently and he tells him of Onesimus' new life in Christ, even calling Onesimus his son. Rabbis at this time would call their disciples their sons. So when Paul says that Onesimus is his son, what he's saying to Philemon is, Philemon, I want you to forgive Onesimus who is my disciple because he is like you now, Philemon. He is my son in the faith who I have discipled. And so I want you to forgive him. Onesimus' name actually means useful, means profitable or useful. Now when Onesimus ran away from Colossae, when he possibly stole money from Philemon. He was not useful to Philemon. He was not useful to Paul. And he was not useful to the gospel. But you see, God in his grace is now sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And he is useful now for Philemon. He is useful for Paul. And he is useful for the advancement of the gospel. Look with me, starting here in verse 8 again. Therefore... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Now the the truth is Onesimus deserved to be punished. Onesimus deserved to be punished for his rebellion. He deserved to be punished for sinning against Philemon. But In this next section of the letter, Paul appeals to God's purposes. And God's purposes for Onesimus are very similar to his purposes for you and I. And Paul appeals to God's mercy and God's grace, even though Onesimus deserves justice. So I want us this morning to talk about the difference between justice, mercy, and grace. What is justice? What is mercy? What is grace? I want to give you three minutes. Turn to your neighbor and discuss the difference between these three. And let's see if we can come up with a definition to be able to tell these three things apart. So take three minutes and discuss with your neighbor. What is justice? What is mercy? And what is grace? Okay. Who wants to share with the class? What In your discussion, what is justice? What did you say in your group justice was? Justice, you saw my notes today. (laughs) Justice is getting what you deserve. We won't let anybody else share because that's A plus right answer. Justice, justice is when you disobey your parents or you lie to your parents and they punish you 
because of your disobedience. In my household growing up, justice was dispensed with a paddle, a wooden paddle. And literally on this paddle, it said, Board of Education. (laughs) Sadly, there was a time in my life where I got educated more than I would have liked to be educated. Maybe because I learned slowly. What is mercy? Let me not give you the answer. What is mercy? What did you say mercy was in your groups? Christian? Taking away what you deserve. All right. Very close. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is when you disobey your parents and you deserve punishment and they come to you and they say, you deserve to be punished for what you did. You disobeyed me, but I love you and I forgive you. That's mercy. So what is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. You see, grace is when you disobey your parents and they come to you and they say, you disobeyed me, you said, you did what I told you not to do, but because, but I love you, so let's go get some ice cream. I preferred those times to the, to the paddle times as a kid. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. But in his grace, he offers it to us. In Jesus, he offers us love and forgiveness. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, Corey, you have no idea what I've done in my past. You have no idea even the decisions I made this weekend. You're right, I don't. But here's what I do know. Your sin is not greater than God's love. You can never out God's grace if you will turn to him and come to Jesus and repent of your sins. God will show you grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Paul here in verses 15 and 16 says that it may be that Onesimus wronged Philemon and ran away just so that he could come back home and be welcomed as a brother and instead of a slave. Look at verses 15 and 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And finally, Paul appeals to the gospel. This is a beautiful picture here in verses 17 and 18 of the gospel. Paul tells Philemon to welcome Onesimus as if he were welcoming Paul himself. And he says to Philemon, if Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to my account and I will pay his debt. Paul is reconciling these two men back together in a beautiful picture of the gospel here in verses 17 and 18. It says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. You see, Paul is living out for Onesimus what Jesus does for you and for me. Paul is literally living out what Jesus has done because like Onesimus, we owe a debt we cannot pay. 
You owe a debt you cannot pay because of the sin in your life. Like Onesimus, we, each and every one, have rebelled against our master and walked away from our God and our Creator and our Father. And each one of us, like Onesimus, need to be reconciled back to our Father. And for that reason, God sent His Son. And for that reason, Jesus died on the cross in your place. You see, as Jesus was dying on the cross, God took your debt and God took your sin and he charged it to Christ's account. Jesus' blood has paid our debt, has paid for our sin so that God can show us grace in his son. Jesus is the one who has reconciled us back to the Father, and when you put your faith in Jesus, when you surrender to Him and begin to follow after Jesus, you are justified. You are made right. You are adopted into the family of God. This entire letter to Philemon is a beautiful picture of our lives when we surrender to Jesus. Because Paul tells Philemon to welcome Onesimus back as a brother, to welcome him into the family. And without Christ, we are all outside of the family of God. But in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We are reconciled back to our Father and back to our Creator. So that we can do what Paul has done. So that we can live out the gospel and show others what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In 2018 probably near the height of a lot of division in our country, a police officer in Dallas, Amber Geiger, maybe you remember seeing this on the news, went into an apartment that she thought was her own, she thought she was going home, and saw Botham Jean sitting on the couch eating ice cream. And thinking it was her own apartment, she shot and killed him. Mistakenly, she had entered his apartment, thinking it was her own. A year later... At the trial, Botham's younger brother, Brant, was on the stand. And Brant lived out the gospel when he, he said this to Amber. He said, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I personally want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what both of them would want. And the best would be, give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Here is a young man looking at his brother's murderer. And says, the best thing for you to do, the thing that I want for you to do, is to give your life to Christ. And in that moment, Brant lived out the change that the gospel should have in each and every one of us. You see, we don't follow Jesus to stay the same. If you were to come to me today and say that you're a follower of Christ, but your life is exactly identical to how it was before you knew Jesus, and you make the same choices, and you talk the same way, and you do everything the same, I would say that you do not know Jesus Because you cannot meet Jesus and stay the same. 
As you grow with the Lord, as you walk with Him, your actions are going to change, your attitudes are going to change, your speech is going to change, the way you manage money is going to change, the way you interact with other people. It's all going to change. Because walking with the Lord means we are being molded into the image of Jesus. We are being made to look like our Savior. So following Jesus must lead to action. It must lead to life change in every area of our life because Christ's impact on our lives changes our relationships. And we see that truth lived out in Paul's letter to Philemon. You see, because of Jesus, Paul sought reconciliation between these two men. Scripture doesn't tell us how Philemon received Onesimus back. But the fact that this letter is still in our Bibles today leads us to believe that Philemon did welcome Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Christ's impact leads to change and action in our lives. I want to give us two ways to apply this to our lives today. The first way, the first change, is to forgive when others sin against you, remembering you have been forgiven. We are forgiven so that we can forgive. We are shown grace so that we can show grace. And then the second way is to let the gospel direct your relationships with others. Love people like Jesus. Care for the outcast. Meet the needs of those that do not have. Let the gospel direct your relationships with other people. We're going to pray based off these two things this morning. I want to lead us through a time of prayer as Maggie plays for us. And so I want you to take a couple of minutes and focus on number one. Spend some time, just you and the Lord, Asking God to teach you to forgive others when they sin against you. And ask God to reveal to you, maybe you have sinned against someone and you need to go seek their forgiveness. Spend a couple of minutes praying for this now. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.